Okay, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the We're Having a Good Time podcast. Uh, my name is Dusty Slate. I'm your host, and it has been a while. So I'm coming back, doing a podcast. I'm excited to be here. I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time, but I just... I don't know, I kept putting it off and putting it off, and I have a baby at home now. So, um, it's hard. It's hard to break away and go out and just go, hey, I'm going to break away for an hour, sitting in a room alone, and talk to people. I'm just going to do that. No big deal. So, what I've done is I've got a, uh, a camera or a... Or a um, I've got a microphone now that I can plug into my laptop and try to start doing these while I'm on the road. Uh, I'm sitting in a hotel in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, about to leave and go to Atlanta, Georgia to open for Jeff Foxworthy at the Fox Theater. Now, by the time this goes out, it'll probably, that will have already happened, but that's where I'm at right now. Two nights ago, I opened for Fortune Feimster at a theater here in Asheville, the Thomas Wolfe Auditorium. It was great. I've done several shows with her, but I want to do a full podcast um, just on shows with Fortune Feimster, but I'm not going to do that one today. I just want to kind of talk about some stuff, um, you know, some stuff that's been going on with me, all good stuff, nothing bad. But it seems bad whenever you say, I want to talk about some stuff that's been going on with me. It always seems bad. It seems like, oh no, what happened? Nothing happened. It's all good. Uh, my baby's great. My baby Daisy is great. My wife is great. We're exhausted, uh, but we're still excited about having a baby. We, um, you know, play games that we never thought we'd play, like games like... Um, uh, is our baby uh, having trouble breathing or has she just figured out a new noise to make? I've made more doctor's trips because my baby was making some noise and then they were like, oh yeah, she's just uh, figuring out noises. Another game I played the other day was, is my baby asleep or is she dead? <laughs> right? And that game seems dark. And it is, but I was, you know, I was driving along, or not driving, I was pushing her in the stroller, and I needed her to take a nap. She was cranky, and I needed her to take a nap. So as I'm walking, I look down, and I see that she's passed out. But she's passed out in a weird angle. So it's tough for me to say, uh, is, she, um, is she alive, right? It looks sketchy. And I wanted to check to see if she was alive, but I also didn't want to wake her up. I needed her to sleep. So it's a weird predicament. You know, I don't want to shake her and wake her up, so I just got down real close to see if I could hear her breathing. And she was breathing. So thank goodness for that. But last week I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. I had a great time in Raleigh. Uh, this year, I've done shows in at the Brea Improv in Brea, California, 
And I've done shows at uh, Denver at Comedy Works South. That's how I rang in the new year was in Denver. All those shows were a lot of fun. After Brea, I got sick. So I was sick for... Uh, I was sick for about a week. Everybody in my house got sick. Uh, but we're all well now. And we, we all got well by last week. And we went to um, the Raleigh Improv. Uh, and I did four nights in Raleigh. And we thought it would be a great idea if we took, you know, if I took Hannah and Daisy with me and just made uh, the weekend in Raleigh a big family trip. I thought that would be really fun. And we were psyched for it. And so we decided to leave Wednesday a day early so we can cut the drive in half. So we drive about four hours to uh, Asheville, where I'm at right now, to a hotel called the Country Inn and Suites. And uh, we stayed there for the night. Daisy did not sleep well. We thought, oh man, that's awful. But we thought, hey, the rest of the weekend's going to be great. And it was not. She did not sleep. They, they put us in a really nice hotel in uh in raleigh too and and daisy did not sleep at all two hours and wake up two hours and wake up and you're in the same room with her there's no escaping i would come home from doing shows open the door she would be crying hannah would be frazzled uh everybody was exhausted sunday after the show the shows were incredible despite all that but on Sunday, as soon as my show was done, we got in the car and we drove four hours to, I think, Kingsport, Tennessee, something I had never heard of. But I booked a hotel in advance for that because I was like, I want to I push myself to go the four hours to get there because that's halfway. But by the time I got there, I, part of me, I was like, let's just do the whole thing. Let's just go all the way home tonight because... I don't think Daisy's going to sleep in the hotel, and what is the point of even stopping? But Hannah was like, no, try to get a little rest. And thankfully, we got in there, and Daisy did sleep, and I got about four hours of sleep. Uh, and then we got in the car and drove home, and then she slept like an angel at home. I mean, she sleeps all through the night at home, which is what fooled us into thinking we could do it. So it's been a wild time. So when I came to Asheville to open for Fortune, I booked myself a hotel at the same Country Inn and Suites. I was like, I like that hotel. I'd like to stay there again. So I booked the hotel. I drive there. I got a little bit of time before I got to get on a call. I get my backpack on. I get all my bags and I go into the hotel and I go, hey, I got a reservation here. Turns out I booked at a different Country Inn and Suites. So I had to take all my stuff. It's like a walk of shame. It's like you've been rejected from the hotel. When you're not rejected from them, you just, that's not the one you're staying at. But it feels like rejection. They're like, oh, we don't have a reservation for you. And I get irritated because I'm like, oh no, I booked it. But I booked it the wrong one. So I'm at a country inn and suites at a different part of Asheville. And it's great. Right now I'm sitting at a desk in my room, looking out at a parking lot and a, uh, a forest. I went to the gym for the first time in, a, in, I don't know, a couple of years. I went to the gym right before I ruptured my appendix. So maybe about a year, but I was not going consistently to the gym at that time. But I, I went right before I ruptured my appendix and... Um, 
like the day before. I felt on fire. I was like, I've never felt better in the gym. And then the next day I ruptured my appendix. But I went to the gym for the first time yesterday in a long time. And I actually went in there and I went in there to lift weights and I got pumped and it feels, I mean, I've done one day at the gym and I feel like I'm Lou Ferrigno, you know? That's bad that that's my worst reference. That's my best reference for a muscular man. Um, who's another one? I don't know. I don't even know who we consider strong. When I was a kid, Sylvester Stallone, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, those were the guys that were the strong guys. Action heroes now, I don't even know if they're that strong. I guess The Rock, but The Rock is too jacked. Who feels like The Rock, you know? But my muscles are sore today. I wanted to go in today and do a leg workout. But I thought, you know what? I'm about to open for Jeff Foxworthy at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, which I hear nothing but great things about the Fox Theater. I'm like, maybe I don't need to get noodle legs right before I go open for Jeff Foxworthy. So that's kind of where I've been. And... um. And where I'm going, you know, uh, I'll be in um, St. Paul, Minnesota next week uh, at a club called Laugh Camp Comedy Club. Never been there, but I'm excited about it. I like the Minneapolis area. My understanding is Minneapolis, St. Paul is uh, sister cities. So I'm excited to be going there. Then I'll be at the Opry. Well, and then I'll have my own show at Zany's on February 16th. I've canceled two of those. The first time I canceled in December was because a lot of people at Zany's got COVID. And then last month, I had to cancel because I got COVID. Now, I think I was healed by that time. But I was not feeling great. And um, I just mean like my energy was really low. And then there were other people now sick at my house. So I didn't want to, I don't know, I didn't want to get people sick. So I canceled it. uh, And then I'm doing February 16th at Zany's. And then the 19th, I'm at the Opry. And then I'll be going to Addison, Texas, February 25th to the 26th at the Dallas slash Addison Improv. Um there was some confusion about a Scottsdale, Arizona show. I have, uh, you know, a social media team that's been helping me to create content and been updating my calendar a little bit. And they put a date, Scottsdale, Arizona, on my calendar. Uh, And a lot of people RSVP'd, and I think it's still there. I don't know what to do about it. But that's a private gig. A company has hired me to come there and do comedy for them. And I don't know that they want it just open to the general public. But if people bought tickets, I don't know if they would mind it or not. If they just gave the money to them, I I don't know. But it's a company I opened for a couple of years ago. Did a rooftop show. It's a lot of fun. I thought it would be a nightmare, but it was a lot of fun. So that's where I'm going. First of March, I'll be in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri uh, at Laughing Gas Comedy. So that's what I got going on. I mean, and then, you know, since I've come on here, I don't know if I ever talked about the actual taping of it and what all went down, but I am now on Netflix, which is fun to say. 
I'm on uh, the stand-ups, the show, the stand-ups, season three, I think episode five. Uh, If you've not watched it, go watch it. Uh, If you've been watching my comedy over the years, I mean, you're going to recognize a lot of those jokes. This was my, uh, what I felt like was my introduction to the world, right? Like I've done some late nights and those things have some reach, Uh, But I thought, if I'm going to do my first Netflix, for a lot of people, this will be their first time ever seeing my comedy. So I thought, let's give them a set that tells them really who I am, right? So you really get to know me. It's like I, I tried to go through all the phases of my life, you know, from rejection of goodwill to, um, um, to my hotel experiences, that would be my, you know, my on the road time. Uh, Also, um, uh, my alcoholic phase where I spent 10 years as an alcoholic. I don't know that I like the term alcoholic. I just spent 10 years as a blackout drunk and I had a blast, but it was affecting my life negatively in so many ways. uh, And I couldn't seem to break the cycle. And eventually I did, and that was 10 years ago. And that's a little bit of what I want to talk about today. And then also, and then I finished off the uh, Netflix with uh, about 15 minutes of trailer park jokes. Uh, I have more trailer park jokes, but those I feel like are my greatest hits of trailer park jokes. And since I only had 30 minutes, I was like, I don't want to do the full 30 on trailer park jokes, especially since we're taping in New York City. I don't even know who's going to get these jokes. But apparently at Netflix, they have an audience curator. They have someone specifically there to figure out what the best audience will be. And I think they found me some good old Southern tourist in New York City, or maybe they live there now, and brought them out to the show. So they got my jokes, and it was a lot of fun. I think it's doing really well. I'm getting great responses from it. People have been really nice. I appreciate everybody that has been watching it because, um, uh, you know, if I if it does really well, then I get an hour. That's basically how it works. But even if the hour never comes, honestly, I'm so excited that I've made it this far. I mean, I say this a lot these days, but I remember sitting around with my friends, my, my comedian friends, living in Charleston, we would sit at Big Gun and we would go, you know, if we had, if we got to do a late night, what would be the five minutes that you would do? And it was just such a fun thing to fantasize about. It was almost like growing up in a trailer park, we used to fantasize about winning the lottery, you know, and it's like, that's how we talked about doing a late night. And now I've gotten to do four late nights and uh, a Comedy Central equivalent to a late night. And it, it it blows my mind. I've gotten to do the Opry like 14 or 15 times. Um, I had to cancel an Opry date because I was sick, and that's too bad. Uh, so to be, and, and now to be on Netflix is just, it blows my mind. It's like, I don't think too little of myself, I don't think, but I do think that this is more than I ever expected to accomplish, which is why I often say that I don't set goals uh, because as a, you know, as a Christian, I believe that God has a plan for me and that his plan is much greater than any plan that I could ever hope to come up with. 
So, I mean, so many of my plans have been thwarted. You know, I think about, I was selling pesticides and I always kind of make that a joke that I was a pesticide salesman, but it was a good job. You know, I was a salaried employee. I had a car allowance. I had health benefits and the job wasn't too hard. It was boring, but it wasn't too hard. Um, And, you know, had I not quit drinking, I wonder if I would have even quit that job and where the path would have led me. What I had gotten, I could, potentially I could have gotten fired and dove deeper into alcoholism and maybe I'd be off laying in a ditch right now, not even avoiding a tornado, just avoiding life. Uh, I ran across a guy in Nashville one time, real drunk, laying in a ditch. I thought he was homeless. He wasn't. And that was embarrassing for both of us. But I think, you know, where would I have been had I not, you know, made the decision to quit drinking? And it wasn't necessarily my plan or my decision. In in my opinion, I, I feel like that, you know, I prayed about quitting drinking for a long time and then the time came and it felt like, boom, now's the time because I ended up quitting smoking cigarettes. The next day I, I tried to smoke a cigarette and my lungs were so exhausted that I couldn't even hit the cigarette. And I was just like, ah, and I was like, let's give this up. And then I never did it again. Uh, I smoke a, a fair amount of cigars, uh, but you don't inhale those and they don't seem to have the same effect on me. Uh, I may have a heart attack one day and go, oh, probably shouldn't have been smoking those cigars. But I know a lot of people that have heart attacks that don't smoke cigars. You know what I mean? So heart attacks are out there. And so I just wonder where my life would have gone had I not quit drinking. And then, you know, I've done a whole video on joining the army and how I got arrested and didn't get in. And I often think about where my life would be had I joined the army and you know, during, especially during the time where I would have gone to war, most likely. And uh, I don't know that it would be bad. I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe I would have joined the army. I would have gone, seen some stuff, and I would have learned to cook, and I would have uh, gotten some money and got out of the army and opened my own restaurant. And maybe I would be a chef right now, whipping up something tasty and really enjoying myself. But it just feels like to me that I'm I'm always making plans for myself and God is going, no, I got a different direction for you. And I don't know where, where you know, uh, the road will lead me next. But right now I'm on this road. I'm having a good time. And I think it's great. But I think people, I don't, I don't think a short-term goal is bad. But I think people can get so wrapped up in their own goals that they get stressed out and they forget uh, to enjoy themselves. I also think you can go the other direction where you you don't set any goals and you don't work hard. You just go, hey, you know, got to work it out. I mean, I think that you got to still work hard and you got to, you know, you know, uh, pray and and, and be living according to God's will uh, as best you can you know, and, um, and, you know, and I think reading the Bible helps you because, you know, you just stay locked in. I think it's good. It helps me. My life is on track because of it. I've made lots of stupid mistakes in my life. Uh, probably will make a lot more. Uh, and, um, but I, but I make less than I used to. That's for sure. I mean, you, you don't make nothing but mistakes when you black out. In fact, when I would wake up in the morning after drinking real heavy 
and, and wake up and realize that I had blacked out and realize that there were things I didn't remember, I would pull out my cell phone and look at it. And if there were no crazy text messages that I had sent or none that had been sent to me, I'd be like, okay, all right, we did it. We blacked out and didn't mess up last night. And it's amazing. I mean, I've done some wild things. And uh, you uh, you could say that I regret them. But it's hard to have any regrets when you end up in a happy place, uh, in a place, you know. But it's like I don't know. Drinking is so wild. Drinking is so wild because I know so many. Because when I put out a video recently about quitting drinking for ten years, I I tried to make it a little motivational where I'm like, if you want to quit drinking, you can do it too, you know. And I and I and then, and some people on TikTok were like, Nah, I'm good, right? And it's like I get that. Because I know people that can go out, they can have drinks, they can handle themselves, they have a lot of fun, and they're responsible with it. But that is not me. And I read this in the AA book that certain people, and I don't know if it's true, but I read this, that certain people have a, a type of blood, and when alcohol gets into their system, they have a reaction to it. They, they call it an allergic reaction that... Uh, you know, like a binge drinker like myself, it, it, it will fuel you in a way. And that's what always happened to me. I never, I didn't go through withdrawals. I'm fine not drinking. But if I have a beer, then I am fueled up to party. I mean, I am ready to go. And um, I, I can't explain it. I used to have this joke where I would say, I, I like drinking so much that if I tell you I'm not drinking, I'm at least having two beers. If I tell you I'm going to go out and have a couple of beers, then I'm getting drunk. And if I ever tell you that I'm going out to get drunk, then it's a guarantee that a window's getting broken, something's getting stolen, and somebody's sister's getting knocked up. Maybe mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, uh, and that was a fun joke. That was a real hit of mine. I love that joke. Um, but, uh, but it's true. It's like some... I, after I'd quit drinking, I probably had quit drinking for a year or so. I went to a church that I had never been to. And any church I had ever been to, you know, I'm always going to Baptist, Methodist type churches. I've been to a Catholic church here and there. But, you know, they say, I feel like they said, if you're not Catholic, you can't participate in communion. I don't know if that's true. I feel like that's true, though. So all the churches I had been to that would do communion once in a while, it would always be grape juice. And so that's just what I was used to. And so I went to this one church one time and they had communion and they had a pretty big little communion cup. And I went up and got it and took a swig and it was actual wine. And I feel like I felt that wine go all the way through. And it was like that wine was moving through my body, talking to the alcoholics inside of me going, wake up, wake up, let's party, let's party. Because I sat in that pew for a moment wondering if I was going to leave there and go to happy hour. Because I was like, that feels good. I like the way that feels. Alcohol makes me feel incredible. I mean, it is like, what I enjoy about alcohol so much is that there is something in me and maybe it's in all of us, but there's something in me that tells me, that says, nah, don't say that. Nah, don't do that. No, that's not a funny joke. Or 
um, there is something in my mind that will put insecurities on me and, 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 or, or I don't know the words, but will make me second guess things, right? But with alcohol, all that's gone. Everything's gone. Like I still realize that I shouldn't say the joke. I still realize that I shouldn't say the certain thing. But if there's a thing in my mind that just says, don't worry about it. You do whatever you want to do. You do you. You're the man. You do what you're the man. And I just do whatever I want to do. And it is a blast. But the next day, when the alcohol is gone, there are real consequences for the things that you do. So that's why it's bad. But it feels amazing. And I have, that's why it was always so hard for me. You know, I would quit drinking and then I would just be like, uh, you know, I'd be insecure. I'd be like, oh, now I got to deal with reality. And I, I just feel like I had to reach a certain point in my life where quitting drinking made the most sense. Now I look back and I always go, man, if I had quit drinking five years ago, what could I have had accomplished by now? But, you know, uh, it just wasn't the way it played out. And I feel good about where I'm at and I'm happy. And, and all that to say, it's like, I don't know the, the journey that, that life will send me on. But I am here for the journey. So I just wanted to talk about a couple of things. I mean, I know the podcast, um, a lot of people have reached out and said that you missed the podcast. And I really appreciate that because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I know that I have listeners because I have, you know, um, uh, I don't know the things, but I have numbers that I can look up that tell me that people are listening. And But all of that is just numbers. It doesn't matter how big the number is or how small the number is. It's just numbers. It doesn't really mean anything, but when, because I don't really get into that. I don't really care about how many likes I have on social media. I don't really care about followers. Oh man, I'm looking out this window and there's some gopher-like creature that just ran across the parking lot. I don't feel like I've ever seen that animal. That's amazing. But they're all just numbers. All these things are just numbers, but when real people reach out to you and go, uh, hey, I missed the podcast, then that really fuels me, and I feel good, and uh, so I appreciate it. I really don't care about listeners. I don't care if the podcast is ever wildly popular. I do enjoy doing it. Just having a baby uh, complicated my life in a way that um, I never thought would be possible, and my daughter is nine months old now, so She's getting older. She's getting a little more independent. She's able to sit on the floor and play with toys. So I think we are reaching a point where at some point we'll be, uh, I'll be able to do this at home more often. And I do want to get my friend Evan Burke to do a podcast series with me. I tried to do this one time before where I talked about all of the seaside shows that we did where we used to go down to Florida and do shows. But I feel like it would be more fun to have Evan tell the stories with me because it was Evan's gig and it was some of our very first road gigs. And I just think it's a really fun journey and uh, I'd like to talk about it. But for now, um, December 26th, 2021 is when the Netflix special came out. And that is almost 10 years to the day, almost 10 years to the day, where I won my first competition at Theater 99 
the Charleston Stand-Up Comedy Competition. Now, this competition was a, was a big deal at the time. They've quit doing it now, but at the time, it was a big deal, especially for us local comics who, you know, were really, we really wanted to um, uh, show that we were great. You know, we wanted to show that we were the best. And the first year I entered the competition, the very first year, it was at the Music Farm, which I think is closed now. And and the Music Farm is the first place I ever really did comedy. So the first competition, this was in, I think, 2009. Um, and I got third place. I got third place. Uh, second place was my friend Tim Heckle. And first place was Timmy Sherrill who runs um, Nut Street Comedy in Wilmington, North Carolina. And then, and I remember watching Timmy Sherrill, and he just blew it away. And I thought, wow, this guy is so good. And then in 2010, the next year, I didn't even place in the competition. I didn't even make it to the finals. And then in 2011, that's the year that I won. Now, I got into the second round, and then the second round was going to take place on the uh, same night as the Alabama-LSU game, so I dropped out of the competition because I wanted to watch that game. So that shows you kind of where my level of commitment to comedy was at the time, but also it was a lack of confidence thing. I was like, I'm not going to win anyway. And I don't want to miss this Alabama-LSU game. This is a big deal. Nick Saban versus Les Miles, this is a big deal. I don't want to miss it. And uh, But it turns out I dropped out on the Saturday. Somebody else dropped out on the Friday, so they offered me a Friday. So I went and did it, and then I made it to the finals. And then I won, and I, I've only heard this through the grapevine, so I don't know if it's true, but I won by two votes. I beat a lady, I won't say her name, but she was ve- she was from out of town. She was very upset that I won, and I get it because the winner got a thousand bucks and second place got nothing, and she traveled into town. So I get it, but I won by two votes, and she was very upset with me. Um, and then we had a showcase in January of 2012 at the poorhouse. Now, the reason that I like talking about this is because in 2011, you know, I had a lot of confidence issues. I mean, I was doing fine. I just was generally confused as a human being, right? I felt like that I wasn't getting dates, but in hindsight, I was just viewing it all wrong. I was, I was doing fine. I had several girlfriends. I was doing fine. I just was viewing things all wrong. My perspective was all messed up. Um... But it doesn't matter that I can look back in the past and see that my perspective was messed up uh, because at the time I didn't realize that. I just had confidence issues. So I won the competition uh, in December and I just, I was floating, man. I thought, oh man, this is going to be a big deal to everyone. Everyone now will see how great I am. And this girl that I like will also see that and she will want to go out with me now and this is going to be really great and I and I thought I always use this uh, I always say this I didn't exact I didn't really expect a parade but there's part of me that's like oh yeah there's going to be a parade for me about this I mean this is a big deal I've won the local 
Charleston stand-up competition, and everyone's going to know about it. And the truth is, no one cared. No one cared at all. The person that cared the most was me. I cared about it the most, um, you know. And an interesting thing, just to think about on, on a confidence level, is I date was dating a girl uh, during the Spectricide times. I've talked about it. If you've listened to that podcast on me talking about Spectricide, I dated a girl who ended up breaking up with me and then getting married to a guy that she was probably never really broken up with while she was dating me. I don't know that. I don't know that for sure, but it seems that way because she said she broke up with him. We dated for a summer. Uh, we had a work fling. And then when her uh, job ended there, she went back and got married to that guy. So I was really duped by it. But in so some time went by and then they got divorced. And in 2011, after winning the competition, that girl was at the show. And so things did go well for me, right? I mean, it did go well. But that ended. So... I don't know. I'm so confused on the time of my own timeline right now, but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna keep going here. So there was another girl that I liked, and I, I wanted her to come to my showcase show at the poorhouse in 2012. And she didn't show up. And I was so bummed about it. I got a little depressed about it because I'm like, how is it that I'm the winner of the competition and the girl that I like is not at my show? It just didn't make sense to me. I was, you know, living a very selfish life while also living an insecure life, which I imagine many of us are. I don't know. I don't know that any of this is relatable, but there's a point that I'm trying to get to. So I ended up quitting drinking uh, early 2012. Uh, At the end of January of 2012, I quit drinking. Now, The thing about it is, all this insecurity talk that I'm telling you, I had another date. This is how good life was going while in my mind I thought everything was awful and I was a loser. I had another date. I went out with a girl on Saturday night. We had a great time. We just, you know, none of this is about sex. We had a great time. We went, we ate food. We went to Big John's, had a few drinks. I walked her to her car. Everything was great. We were all set for another date. Life was good. And I stopped over at Yo Burrito uh, for one one drink. Yo Burrito is where I hosted trivia for years and years. I stopped over there. I had one more drink. I went back to my uh, apartment. And then the next day, I quit drinking. I woke up feeling the worst that I had ever felt. Just my my chest hurt from smoking cigarettes. My body hurt from drinking. I was overweight. And I just felt disgusting. So I ended up quitting drinking. So, all right. So 10 years from winning my first competition, um, uh, 10 years later after winning my first competition, I ended up on Netflix. And I just think that blows my mind. And I think there is a direct correlation to quitting drinking. And um, uh, let's see. I just want to, I wrote a bunch of stuff down. And then, uh, yeah, basically all that stuff. Yep, yep, I'm just looking at some stuff. Oh, and then February 23rd, so about a month later, that's when I put in my 
uh, two weeks notice at the Spectreside job. So I quit drinking. And then about a month later uh, of being sober is how I figured out how I would, uh, I would quit my Spectreside job. And uh, so I did a two-week notice. And then on March 7th, I sold my car. So I figured out, this is what I did. I figured out, all right, now I know this is confusing. It's mostly confusing for me. Uh, all, all that you're hearing is just me rambling, uh, but it's confusing to me because I'm trying to put dates in and I'm trying to make a point and I don't even know if there's a point to be made. But basically, um, I was a drunk and I got my life together and things panned out. But so uh, February 23rd, I put in my two-week notice. And then March, I figured out that if I... Uh, sold my car with quitting drinking, with quitting smoking cigarettes, and if I sold my car, I basically wouldn't even need money to live. My rent was $450 a month, so as long as I could come up with that, I was going to be all set. I lived downtown. My my Theater 99 was downtown where I did a show. Big Gun was downtown where I hosted an open mic. Yo Burrito was downtown where I hosted trivia. Mellow Mushroom was a was a bike ride away, and I didn't even need equipment for that. Um, and then I went back to work at Hyman's, which was also downtown. So I didn't need a car. So I sold my car, but I wanted to finish the two-week notice. The two-week notice was over on March 9th, and I wanted to finish it uh, because I love a two-week notice. Uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful time. I'll tell you about that two-week notice. Um, but... Um, I just, um, I, I rented a car for that last two days so I could finish it off. And then when I dropped that rental car off, I walked home from the rental car company. I walked home free from debt, free from that job, free from my boss, free from that old responsibilities, knowing that I was free from drinking and free from cigarettes, I walked back to my car a free man. I wanted to quit comedy because I, I, I was doing so much of a reset in my life that I was like, I want to just quit everything and just get to a total basic level where I can just figure out what I want to do next. I want to figure out what's going on. I was praying more than ever. I was reading my Bible more than ever. And I wanted God to direct me to my next stage in life. Um, I even had a mattress. This mattress, I've done a video about this old mattress that I had. And I had it for years and years and years. And I, I just was laying on it one night. And I was just like, this is disgusting. I mean, I was so disgusted with so many things in my life that I took this mattress, I drug it outside about 2 a.m. There was a bar right outside of my apartment that I used to go to. I used to go to this bar, Burns Alley. I would go out drinking and then come home. I'd be so wasted coming home. And then I would go, you know what? I'll stop in at Burns for another beer, you know, just in case there's anybody I know in there, I can embarrass myself in front of them. Uh, so I took this mattress and box spring and frame and everything, and I threw it, I drug it out uh, by myself, and I threw it in the Burns Alley dumpster one night. And the mattress was so worn out, I could fold it inside of the dumpster. And I slept on an air mattress for, I don't know, probably six months. 
My room was clean. It was empty. When I moved into this apartment, it was an apartment downtown. I moved from James Allen. I had all these shelves from selling pesticides that I would set up in stores. And I had no storage areas. So I had uh, about an eight-foot stack of boxes that took up half the space in my room. And I went from that to almost an entirely empty bedroom. And it just felt great. I threw away a dresser. I mean, I got rid of it all. And it felt good. It just felt like my life. I just physically and spiritually, I cleaned out all the clutter of my life. I got back to basics. I kept doing the open mic, but my heart wasn't really in it. And I did, I I had already signed up to do a competition that my friend Evan was hosting. And so I was like, all right, I'll still do it because I've already said that I will, but my heart is not really in it. And then I ended up winning the competition. And I just thought, all right, you know what? Maybe there is something here. So I basically threw away all my jokes and I started writing all new jokes I started. I had so much free time. I worked three days a week at, at, at Hyman's day shift, and then I hosted uh, trivia two nights a week, and I hosted an open mic one night a week. My weekends were free. Uh, most of my nights were free. I just had this ultimate freedom like I had never had in my life, and it felt good. I took total control of my life, and I just was... I had a real good place. And I and in that moment, I just realized that I don't need any of these things. I don't need comedy. I don't need uh, this salaried position. I don't need a car. I don't need a bed. I don't need any of these this stuff. It's all luxuries that I enjoy having. I mean, I have comedy now. I have a job. I have, which, which my job is comedy. I have... Uh, a bed, uh, a nice bed, uh, and I have uh, a car and a house, and now I have you know a wife and a baby. So I have a lot of things again, maybe too many things, but I'm, uh, but I, but I simplified. I got to a real base uh, place, and I just remember that time, that two years in Charleston. Uh, I spent ten years there. That two years was was my favorite two years because I really felt like I took my life back. I got to see Charleston in a beautiful way. And it was unbelievable. And um, there's a song that I've probably played on here before. I don't have my normal setup, so I can't just play the song. But it's a religious song by a guy named Josh Garrels. G-A-R-R-E-L-L-S, I think. And it's called Don't Wait For Me. And it, it doesn't sound like a traditional church song. It sounds like, you know, a bit more of a hippie type song. But there was just, I heard this song and the lyrics of this song just hit me so hard right after I quit drinking. And I just um, was really blown away by it. And I, I still listen to it from time to time just as a reminder. Um, and... Um, I wrote down a Bible verse here that I, I don't know what it is and I don't know why I wrote it down, but let's pull it up here. Um, I, I took a lot of notes to do this podcast, but I didn't really look at them before I started it. You know what I mean? So why would I, right? Okay. 
Oh, oh yeah. So it's all along this, but this is Jeremiah 29, 11, and it says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. And, um, and I just, I mean, that, that I read that and that really just resonated with that whole thing. It's like, you know, God does have a plan and he's like, listen, just do what I'm telling you to do. And I'm going to get you through this thing. He's like, this world is darkness, but I'm going to get you through it and you're going to have a good time. Um, I got a little ahead of myself uh, with some of this stuff, but, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get too deep in it. I'm sure there's some new listeners from uh, Netflix, and I don't want to scare people away right away. Because, you know, originally when I started this podcast, the reason I called it the We're Having a Good Time podcast, for many reasons, one is because that's a thing I say all the time. But also it's because when I started it, me and my wife were doing it. We probably started in 2018. She was doing comedy. I was doing comedy. We were both both working the road. And I thought, let's bring a podcast out where we're not really talking about anything. We're just having some fun, sharing some light conspiracies, uh, telling some stories, doing some stuff like that. And I did that for a long time. And then 2020 hit and I didn't know what to do with the podcast because I'm like, we're not live to me. We're not living in a time where um, where it's just happy go lucky out here. It it feels dark a lot of times. So my my podcast, I don't feel like it can just be happy. My comedy, my plan is for it to always be that. Always just be happy comedy. When you come see me, uh, you just enjoy what I'm doing out there. You forget about the world. But you know, on the podcast, it's like. I don't know. It's hard to write jokes, right? So a lot of comics get on get on podcasts, and and it's fine what they do. They they'll have multiple people on the podcast with them, and it'll be just riff, 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 joke, joke, joke. But to be honest with you, I don't like that kind of podcast. It doesn't do anything for me to just listen to people joke like that on on. Like I never liked. I've done a lot of morning radio lately, and I'm very grateful to them to them. So. Uh, if any of those people listen to my podcast, don't take this the wrong way. But I never really enjoyed morning radio where everybody just laughed the whole time. I'm like, what are we doing here? This is early morning. I don't want to hear a lot of laughter. I like music or I like talking. I like people telling me things. And I just feel like the thing that I wrote took a different direction in, in what I'd like to what I'd like to say here, but um, um, I, I just think the the there's some interesting synchronicity. Syn, I don't know. I don't know how you say. It. I don't know why I can't speak today. Synchron synchronicity. Yeah, I won't edit it, so that'll all be in there. I think I farted one time on here. It'll probably be there too. Um, but it's like now, here I am 10 years later from the time. I, so the, my entire 20s, I drank. My entire 30s, I had career success. What will my 40s take? I don't know. I'm 39. I'll turn 40 in May. I remember when I was a kid, my dad was turning 40. And I remember there being signs in the yard going, Lordy, Lordy, Richard's 40, right? And it's like, I don't feel that way. I don't feel like I'm old. I don't like 40. 
always seems like that year where it's like, oh, you're hitting your 40s. Like, I'm a dad now. I'm a homeowner, right? But I don't feel old at all. But I want to get into the gym because I don't want to get weak. And I feel like through rupturing my appendix, through getting sick recently, I just feel weaker. And I want to, you know, maintain some strength. So, I, And I also don't want to get sick again. So I'm going to be more uh, on top of my health. Like I already take vitamins. I try to watch what I eat, but I do live a pretty sedentary lifestyle. Even though I'm all over the country, I'm sitting down. I'm sitting down in a plane. I'm sitting down in a car. I'm sitting down in a hotel room. And I get so bored in my hotel that... Um, I just stare at my phone. So I'm that's why I'm I'm happy that I have this microphone now cuz I'm going to try to get into it. Um I um Okay, so here's a, a a little story that might be funny. I like this fast food restaurant called Slim Chickens. I don't know if those are everywhere. I liked it okay, but then I was doing a show in Augusta and before the show, I wanted to get some food. And the only restaurants around um, the theater were like fast food places. So I was like, well, I'm not, I don't eat at McDonald's. I'll never eat at McDonald's again for the rest of my life. I would rather starve than eat McDonald's. I think they're deliberately poisoning us. And I don't care if it tastes good. It's disgusting. Um but I, uh, so I was like, all right, and it, you know, maybe Slim Chickens has too. I don't know. But I went to Slim Chickens. I got a chicken sandwich. I was not looking forward to it, but I ate it and I was like, oh my gosh, this was the best sandwich I ever had in my life. It wasn't, but at the time it just felt like it. And I just kept thinking about Slim Chickens. So I, I just kept thinking about it. And there's one pretty close to my house and so I got, I, I talked my wife into going there. So we went and we sat in the drive-thru forever. We got our food, we took it home and I ate it and it was like, just okay. But I was telling a story to my wife about my Slim Chickens experience at Augusta. And I told her this long story and she was doing something else and she gets, you know, she's way off in her mind and she goes, oh wait, I'm sorry, tell me that again. And it's just, it's like that Mitch Hedberg joke where somebody asks you to repeat something and you're really just saying something insignificant. And I'm like, my wife has just asked me to repeat this story that I told her as if this story was something more than me enjoying a chicken sandwich at a fast food restaurant. It's like repeating this to her just sounds ridiculous. Like I can't do it. So that story goes nowhere. Um, um, you know, um, I have, a, I, I, I write all these things for the podcast and then they just come out all serious, but, um, I, I wrote this, like, I feel sorry for people that are desperate to fit in and maybe, you know, people like that. Maybe you are one of those people. And I feel sorry for them because I've been there at various times in my life. And eventually, I just found my own way. I still feel like an outsider in a lot of ways. Even with the success I've had in comedy, I still feel like an outsider. I like feeling like that now because the groups in the past I wanted to fit into were not for me 
and probably whatever group that you're trying to fit into is not for you. That's one of the amazing things about walking with God is you are never alone. And if you allow him, if you allow him to, he'll just guide your path. He will put you with the people that he wants you to be with and will remove other people from your life. I've lost friends and I've been sad about it. And then I look back years later and I think, wow, that really worked out for me. As much as I enjoyed that person, they were potentially dragging me down. I remember thinking certain people were so cool and I wanted to be just like them. Now I feel like I've soared past them and feel like wanting that as opposed to who I've become was an example of how bad my life would be if I were actually in control of it and not surrendering it to God. Um, and I don't know if that makes sense, but I wrote that down and it means something to me. And I don't know. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't want to tell people how to live, right? Like if you want to keep drinking, keep drinking. If you, if you, I mean, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to say this here. I, I never say this person's name, but I know a person. And as far as I know, they've been doing meth for about 20 years. They... I don't see them very often, but I have another friend who's in communication with that friend, and he told me he went over to his house the other day, and he was doing meth. Now, my other friend was not doing it with him and said he left when he pulled it out, but I know that that friend was also doing it 20 years ago, and uh, I'm sure that his life is not perfectly put together and, and doing particularly great, but he's not a wreck. His life's not a wreck. He somehow managed to manage meth in his life. He's, he's managed to make it work over an extended period of time, which is not the kind of story that you hear. So if you're able to live your life while doing whatever vice is out there, then good for you. And I would never tell you not to do. I would say it's probably not best for your health to do meth for 20 years. But if you're doing it and it's working, hey, more power to you. You know, it's like people, I know a guy, one of my dad's best friends. Every time I've seen him my entire life, for the most part, he's been drinking. He he'll come over and watch football games with my dad, and he'll have he'll bring a you know a twelve pack, eighteen pack. I don't know how many he brings, but he comes over and he'll put one in the freezer. And once that one reaches a certain temperature, he'll go get it and start drinking it. And when he gets it, he'll put the next one in the freezer, and so that it reaches that coldness as he's drinking it. And he'll drink close to whatever he brought. If he bought a 12-pack, he'll, he'll drink that whole thing or close to it or an 18-pack. And, they, and I, I've seen this guy drink like this my whole life, and I've never seen him drunk. I've never seen him out of control. He's always maintained a job and other things that he wants to do, as well as maintaining a marriage and his family. So it's like, if you can do it, do it. I don't, I'm not here to judge. And also whatever your religion is. I respect it. You know, I respect people that have faith and um, a moral code that they live by and some principles, you know. I've said many times before, 
Uh, obviously, I think my religion is the right one. I believe it is. If I didn't, why would I believe it? You know what I mean? So um, I just want that to be said. I don't want anybody to ever listen and think that I'm judgmental on your life. Uh, you're going to find your own path. And I always say, though, if you're on a path and you're unhappy, uh, sometimes it can be the people around you, but sometimes it can be you and your mindset. And it's like, your happiness is what has got to be the most important to you. Now, now I don't mean, you know, your happiness at the expense of other people, but if you spend my, you know, my sister told me a long time ago, she's like, you're never going to be able to make everybody happy. So make yourself happy. And that's what I've done, you know, and I try to be there for people. I try to be there to help them any way I can. But at the end of the day, it's like, you got to look out for yourself because if you're if if you yourself is a wreck, then you're not going to be in a good condition to help other people. It's like when you're on a plane and they tell you if the oxygen mask drops, you know, put your mask on first before helping other people, right? Because you need oxygen. You're no good to help other people if you can't breathe. And I think that's the same way just in life in general. If you can't breathe, you're not good at, you're not going to be able to help anybody else. So if you've, you know, so you got to look out for yourself, look out for your health, you know, but also, you know, do something nice for somebody. I love to say that. And I think it's, I think it's helpful. I mean, I see so, I see more and more people on the um, street corners when I'm going through, when I stop at uh, a red light, there's people out there panhandling or whatever. And it's like, it's easy to look at those people and go, you know, I'll see a guy once in a while with a with in a wheelchair or or with there's a one guy in Hermitage that's got a real bad back. He's real hunched over. And I think I bet it's hard for that guy to work, you know. But you see a lot of people out there. Like I saw a girl here in Asheville who was young, pretty attractive, but her teeth were real rotted out. And I was like, I bet she's on drugs, right? But it's like who am I to judge any of these people? I don't know their life. I don't know their path. And it's like, if you give, God recognizes that you've given. It doesn't matter if they waste your money. The, the point is that you you tried to help them. You tried to be helpful to them. You tried to do something for them. And if that girl in my, and I've said this before about a girl I gave money to, that I'm like, if she goes off and spends my money to get meth or crack or whatever, She's going to get that meth or crack anyway. And that maybe me giving her that money saved her from having to do something awful with her body to get it, you know? And it's just so sad. There's so many sad people out there right now that just be nice to people. Give somebody a call. Tell them that you love them, you know? Uh, go visit a friend. Um, if you see a homeless person, give them some money. Tell them God loves them, you know? It's like, they need some encouragement. Sometimes people are out there to take advantage of us who have jobs and have money, uh, but they also need love too because that life they're living is not good for them. It's not healthy. Even if they're just out there ripping people off, it's still not a good, healthy life. So they still need help and guidance. And, you know, I mean, it's cold out there right now. I see people and I'm like, man, I'd rather have a job flipping burgers inside than standing out here on the street corner trying to get money from people. 
I hate asking people for stuff. I hate it. I mean, as a as a man with a kid now, sometimes we want to get somebody to come over and watch Daisy for a little bit while we do something fun while, or while we go to the grocery store or go to the DMV. And I'm like, I hate it. I hate asking people for stuff. So I can't imagine being a panhandler. If this is your first time listening to this podcast and you've made it this far, I appreciate you. Uh, I hope that um, my religious talk has not turned you off. Um, and you can always send me an email to dustyslaycomedy at gmail.com. Tell me what you think. I'm happy to talk to you. I may not answer because I'm, I'm, I hate my phone and I hate staring at it. But I will try. And, uh, but no matter what, I will read it. And uh, thank you for listening. We're having a good time.